0: Welcome to The International Kit, a new podcast about mechanical keyboards incorporating a European perspective. My name is Sebastian, known online as Querdenker, written with a K and W. And with me is my co-host Hannes, aka Egla. So, what do we have in store today?
1: Oh, today we have something special in store for you for our first episode. I'd like to introduce Jay to you. Jay is a longstanding community member of the UK mechanical keyboard community and is known for owning a big variety of boards and streaming various builds on Twitch recently. Welcome to the International Kit, Jay. How are you today?
2: I'm very well, thank you. Uh, Thank you both for having me on the
1: show. Thank you for being with us. So, did I miss anything important in our intro? What do you do when you're not working on keyboards? And just quickly introduce yourself, additionally to what I just said. (laughs)
2: Um, So outside of the mechanical keyboard community, I'm a product owner working for a large uh, multinational corporation. Um, I've done that for about six or seven years. Uh, I I love and hate it all at the same time. Um, But mechanical keyboards and cars are my two big hobbies. Uh, For anyone who doesn't know about my keyboard collection, my car collection is slowly starting to rival it. Um, So that's the other big thing that I'm into as well.
1: Uh, How many cars do you have?
2: Uh, at the moment fully built i have seven cars that are up and running on the road and i have about four that are in bits and pieces and various stages of being rebuilt uh, and two motorbikes as well
1: Uh, it's a bit more complicated than building a keyboard i guess (laughs)
2: Uh, a little bit yes yes Uh, a few more parts not many but a few more parts
0: storage should also be an issue
2: yeah, so so actually, where I store a lot of my keyboards is, is in the garage where the cars are because uh, I've got a bit of a lockup where I keep uh, some of the cars. I've also got some heavy machinery there where I use stamp presses and uh, a small CNC mill and stuff like that to make keyboard parts as well, uh, to make car parts as well as uh, the odd keyboard part to replace things.
0: Well, that's actually a good overlap then between hobbies.
2: Yeah it's it's good to be able to um uh to come up with designs and prototypes i can't see any cnc anything that would be worthwhile putting into a group buy or anything like that uh, i can't do the, the, what the likes of salvan or rama can do with their tooling but um i can do enough to get rough prototypes cnc blocks of wood and plastic and things like that so yeah it's it's pretty good pretty useful
1: uh so how did you get into mechanical keyboards
2: at work, I'm literally on a keyboard all day, every day. So a few years ago, I was looking into how I could find something that was um, a little bit more comfortable to use every day. Um, I got sucked into the uh, the whole gamer sphere of keyboards. So the the Razer and uh, all of this RGB lighting, Cherry MX Red type plastic stuff. And it was much better than using the old rubber dome stuff. It was much better than using what works applied on my laptop keyboard and all of that kind of stuff. But it wasn't particularly great. It just felt nicer. Um, and I guess looking back at that point, I didn't realize how how good things could be in the keyboard world. But it was a bit of a rabbit hole. Uh, from uh, Razer Boards, I found uh, the Reddit for Mechanical Keyboards. And uh, then from there, I found Hack, And then I found Group Buys. And then I found a big hole in my wallet. Um, <laughs> <and> <laughs> literally all of that. All all of the stuff started to come at once. Um, yeah, from from there it was keycaps and different types of switches, um, I, whatever I could get my hands on I wanted to try, all in search of that one board that would fix things for me at work, make it comfortable to type, make it make my day feel a little bit better. Um, the gains were huge at first, and then they became slowly more incremental. So you have one board that would have a massive difference from a previous one. And then now I'm starting to slowly edge towards end game. I suspect the updates I seem to be putting on my boards and the steps I'm changing uh, from one build to the next are very, very slight now when I'm doing things for myself. So, so I think I'm getting towards what my ideal board is, but it's a slow process.
0: So what is your current ideal board then?
2: I've got two daily drivers at the moment. Um, one is a TX1800, uh, which is what I use at work. Uh, it's in a lovely blue colour with GMK ski data caps on. Um, and that's got tangerine switches in, uh, which have been lubed uh, and looked after, and uh, GMK screwing stabs. At home, I use a canoe, uh, which has a little bit of a better sound because it's got holly pandas in, so it's a little bit more clacky. Um, and that's uh, wearing a GMK solarised dark at the moment.
0: Two lovely boards. I'm too a fan of the uh, 1800 layout.
2: Yeah, I've actually got two TX1800s. I've got one at work, which is the blue one, and I've got another <laughs> one at home, which is actually is right by my knee at the moment. It's it's um, I, I, I desoldered it to steal the pandas out of it to make another board, um, but it's going to be rebuilt with uh, with Revo clears, uh, and that's going to go to be the workboard eventually at some point. But yeah, I can't I can't live at work without an unpad spreadsheets are a way of life for many of us unfortunately
1: (laughs) am i seeing that correctly that holy pandas are your favorite switch
2: um i think if i want my keyboard to be clacky yes i don't i don't think i could ever have one specific layout as end game i think my end game is actually having a work layout and a home layout that both complement what i do they feel nice to type on and they complement what i do at home and and, and work and how, how, how i need my um having my input device to interact with the computer, to be honest, um, and, and, and myself as well. So I, I think I think my in game is actually two two boards. Um, uh, Holy Pandas are definitely my favourite tactile switch, uh, or MX tactile switch, I'll, I'll clarify that. Um, I think if we're going to go, what is my favourite switch overall, I'd have to say it's uh, Brown Alps. Which I've got a bag of sat right in front of me, uh, just begging to be built, but I'm ten short, so I'm waiting for another ten to be delivered in a few weeks. Um, but yeah, as I say, works works very different. So from a work perspective, I have to have not necessarily a silent board, but something that's not going to cause complaints across the office. And I suspect a Holy Panda board would uh, would be a little bit too on the clacky side to be uh, to be acceptable.
1: Oh yeah, I can see that. So what are what are your favorite experiences in the community so far or, or what do you like doing in the community Is like is stri- Twitch streaming the thing that you that you want to go more into
2: So so Twitch streaming is something that's relatively new to me um it literally came about because I saw uh, Nathan Kim's uh, videos and, and and Twitch stream and uh, someone suggested just half randomly half jokingly um that I should give it a go um because i build boards nearly every week and people are always interested in that kind of stuff so um uh, it was actually uh uh, speaking with Huey from TopClack and he suggested it. Uh, he, he was the person that said, you know, you should stream yourself and try that. I do really enjoy doing the streams. The best thing about doing a stream is actually being able to interact with the chat and have a chat uh, with people and have a bit of a laugh and a joke and people can ask you questions and you can show them. And I, I think you kind of lose that interaction with um, uh, with things like uh, YouTube and and other video services and even forums to an extent as well. The the, the rate of conversing with your uh, viewers is much much less when you're doing it on live stream effectively people can ask questions you can show them there and then you don't have to do another video or uh, type up a, a wordy response to them or anything like that you can literally just show them there and you can respond directly to the questions um, it's much more engaging as a format I, I found but to go back to your question in terms of what else am i doing in the community um Lots of different things. Recently, I've run uh, one of the meetups in the UK that was back in May in Leeds. Um, so I was uh, pulled all that together, arranged a meetup for about 40, 50 people, something like that. Um, so it was all of the venue, getting people's boards there, making sure we had food and drink and all of that kind of good stuff. And uh, then recently I attended the the last Mechanical Keyboards UK meetup, which was just last weekend on the 11th of August. Uh, in Birmingham, uh, where I did a bit of a panel talk show uh, called A Question of Keebs, <laughs> which had a terrible name, but it was quite funny. Um, and effectively what we did was we got some of the UK community members out there. So we got Pexon from uh, from Pexon PCs, the, the cable maker. We got Zondat, who designs the Noxery boards. Um, we got Glove, who uh, who makes artisans for Glove caps. Um, and we all, we did a bit of a panel show where I, I acted as a bit of a host asked some questions that the community had raised some quite challenging, uh, others quite fun um, then we opened it up to the floor asked a few questions and did that kind of stuff so there should be a video of that coming out soon that, uh, uh, the Pokemon kid Matt
1: well yeah that's nice um, it's just something that's bothering me in, in Germany a bit is there are no meetups here there's one every year and this year the communication is not that great because usually it's around uh, end of September beginning of October But so far there hasn't even been a date confirmed or anything. So it's uh, really hard to plan around it.
0: Yeah. Just rumors floating around like, yeah, it's, it's going planned. They're looking for a venue and stuff like that, but nothing at least somewhat official in any capacity.
2: Yeah, I, I kind of get that because we, we had a little bit of that in, in the UK. So we, we had a meetup in February, which was the first meet meetup I went to. um, And um, that was based in London. And the, the challenge we had is the UK is quite small, but people don't like to travel in the UK. Uh, I think you Europeans are much more accustomed to travel than we are. Um, and there was there was a whole raft of people who were active in the community that didn't uh, want to travel from Scotland or from Northern England or from Wales or from Ireland or even some of the surrounding countries uh, like the Netherlands and places like that, France. You know, People didn't come to it because they didn't want to travel there. So that was the whole reason why I set up the, the Leeds Meetup to try and have a, a, a meet-up that was in the UK but a little bit further north and didn't leave out all of those people towards the top end of the country. So my advice would be just step up and run your own.
1: Yeah, although I mean, I can see that uh, going to London is just would be way easier than going to Leeds, for example. Because I looked um, at pricing for going to Birmingham, and I mean, I can go to London for like 30 euros, but to Birmingham it was like 300. So
2: interestingly, it cost me three 300 pounds to get to, to London from where I am. So 30 euros so for you to travel to Leeds. It's cheaper for you to get there than it is for me.
1: Yeah, in, in Europe, you're just a bit constrained by where the budget airlines go, I guess.
2: Yeah, I think I think you're right. I think you're right. I think with, with, within the UK, though, I think um, most people tend to train it or drive it. Domestic flights in the UK aren't particularly cheap, so I think most people tend to drive. And just having that northern meet just open it up to a few more people that didn't want to travel all the way to London, I think. Um, but I, I, I think that, that there's, a, there's a big community out there. There's a lot more people in the community than what you realise. More people turn up to the events that you don't know than you do know, even from there. Uh, their usernames and and discord tags um you know you meet people who just lurk in the community or they just they've 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 seen the tickets on sale they have one board and they're interested in finding more or they want to buy the next custom and they want to try someone else's switches and all of this the The meetup people are much more diverse than the regulars in uh, all of the the websites that we use and the services that we use to chat,
1: yeah, and I mean meetups are the best experience for the best way to experience other boards um. Other switches, other keycaps—it's just so many of those things are fairly expensive for, for just trying it. Um, going to a meetup is just the best way to do it. Like I want to try a toper board, but I'm not just gonna buy one just to try it out and see if I like it. So going to a meetup definitely would help with that, which is I'm pretty sure this is a um, a big reason why just so many people um, show up.
2: Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think people just want to try new things, and 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 the money is a big. Uh, a big blocker in the in the hobby um I, I don't think people are too scared of spending the money i think people who want the, the the custom boards and everything else are happy to spend the money but you're right they want to know what they're spending their money on up front and and meet up to so the one way that we can that we can accommodate that requirement you know we can we can um allow people to try other people's things and we can talk about it and you get you get much more out of an interaction face-to-face than you do you know over the phone or through a forum or whatever else your, your medium of choice to talk is uh, i think those uh, face-to-face interactions are much more valuable to us as agreements as well
1: yeah and as the community grow and the options grow it's just um, at some point it's just impossible to try everything by yourself i mean if you look how many different switches are around um, already at the moment it's just growing and growing and growing and you just can't try all of those
0: and then especially if you consider like um, switch mods like taking different parts and putting them yeah. together and stuff like that. So you can't have everything, especially pandas nowadays,
2: yeah, especially pandas. Yeah. It's not, you're right now. You're 100% right. It's not just the, the sheer volume of manufactured switches. It's the, the sheer volume of customized and, uh, and, and tweaked switches. You know, you can't buy, very many switches that are pre looped and you certainly can't pick which loop comes in the switches if they are pre-lubed and you know there's all of these uh these tweaks and controls that we've got in place that, that try and improve the quality of our boards um but without us meeting up and without us sharing those experiences with each other all we've got is literal text and video files on the internet which you know it's very difficult to base an opinion or a judgment or a, a spending decision uh on something as arbitrary as that sometimes
1: yeah, even if it goes down to layouts and and stuff, it's just um and you go to and you go to a meetup and you um you try boards and you might find the one that that you really like and you just go to the person and ask them so like what did you do to it um how did did you build it so you can do it yourself afterwards so
2: absolutely absolutely yeah I think you're hundred percent right again and um that was the reason why I I started to uh, to do the Twitch streams because people saw my boards at the meetup they liked them um I kind of do builds fairly frequently usually one a week on average i'd say um and uh when when it was suggested to me to to, to have a go at um uh, doing the live streams i think they work really well the 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 best they're The how to word this they're probably the better uh way of interacting with the community um after meetups i think um you can accommodate people's questions and requirements and it just helps to answer questions and and, and foster a better community you know you helping each other out this, this community should be built on a foundation of of helping others and trust uh implicit that we're you know good people uh, I'd, I'd hate to think that it was built on people lying or tweaking things in in, in uh, a negative manner to try and uh, get personal gain
0: yeah that's sadly too often the case that something like that happens so it's always good to have a positive example
2: yeah i think uh uh the, the the current round of as you mentioned before pandas the, the the rarity and the demand for those has uh has had both positive and negative impacts on the community i think
1: oh yeah um so let's talk a bit about the, the hyper seven can you quickly try to explain to everybody what the hyper seven is and i just want to add to add, quickly add in here if you listen to this podcast um on A podcast player, most podcast players um, should be able to show you chapter artwork. Um, So if you look at whatever device you're listening to at the moment, you will see an image of the Hyper-7 to help you a bit with uh, visualizing it
0: though it might be quite hard to fit the whole board into the small <laughs> artwork
2: <laughs> yeah the um the hyper seven uh I, I i suspect that this is the board that actually got me a bit of infamy on 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 reddit and it's probably a, the main reason why people know me within the community um but the hyper seven was uh, was a bit of a pipe dream uh uh it, it's Somewhere in the region of one hundred and seventy-three to one hundred and seventy-five percent board, depending on on whether you count a full layout as ISO or ANSI. Um, so there's there's arguments over that. Um, but uh, I call it I call it one hundred and seventy-three percent board. Um, but it's uh, it, it's built off an idea that that's not mine. Uh, all credit for the original idea for Hyper Seven goes to Seven Bit, um, and Seven uh, Bits from Death Authority uh, community. Um, and a few years ago, he designed a theoretical board he called the Hyper-7. Um, he even had keycaps made from it by Signature Plastics. And it was a layout that paid homage to the old Lisp boards of, uh, of the 80s um, with, uh, with Greek characters and multiple functions and a number of layers and all of this kind of thing. Um, if you look on YouTube, there's all sorts of videos. I think uh, I think Thomas Rand uh, uh, has done a couple of videos on these old Lisp machines as well. Um and 7Bit designed this board to to, to kind of be a, a multi function board uh, designed to be able to, to to accommodate all of those old functions and bring it into the new world as well. Um so the layout's a bit obscure. Uh, it you, you couldn't badge it as ANSI or ISO or anything in between. It's it's very much its own layout. And um yeah, so, so 7Bit designed it. Um it's 213 switches if I remember correctly. So it's absolutely huge, uh, but it's a split board as well. So it's got a, a separate um, angled array of uh, of keys as well, which are uh, sat at, a, at an angle at the back of the board. But he he designed it because he wanted to pay homage to those old list boards. Um, uh, from what I understand, he had a team that tried to build some prototypes, uh, but the, the, the project never really got off the ground. I think they had some prototypes produced, but I, I don't think the whole thing was ever working. And one day I was just browsing, uh, looking with some friends, um, shout out to, to to Gimli, who was the, uh, the guy that pointed it out to me, um, on the old Round 5 and Round 6 keycap sets that were for sale on their Death Authority and still are some kits for sale on there. Uh, and there was a whole Hyper 7 kit for sale left on there that no one had bought because no one had a board to use it on. I think there were five or six of these kits made, ultimately. Um, I think probably 7-bit owns one. The only other one I know of that, that's out there in the wild is owned by uh, Olivia. Uh, who's a good friend of mine, and I know a couple of people got partial kits, but but that's about it. And once I saw the keycaps, I fell in love with them. Um, I'd always wanted the Space Collect keycaps, and these are very reminiscent of them, so I just bought the kit. And the kit sat around for about a month, and then I thought I should do something with it. Rather than just use the alphas, I should actually use the whole set. Um, and from there, with Gimli and a few others from the UK community, uh, I can't shout everyone out, but everyone knows who they are, the, the idea of building this board came to life. So we, we had a chat with Yankar, who's also a good friend, uh, designs PCBs, who's recently responsible for the HS60 uh, and a couple of other PCBs in, in the marketplace as well. Um, and he said he didn't see it as a problem. He could make both the boards talk to each other and all of that kind of govins. Um, I, I couldn't tell you how it works. I just know that it does. So between me and a few other people, we bought nine prototype PCBs. Um, as soon as i got mine i couldn't wait to build it so i got in touch with uh hb heron bob paul uh, who's the Utamu rep um he helped, helped me out with some switches um so the board got built with uh with Utamu ice grey v2s and here we are that that's that's the story of how hyper7 came into being um it was very much designed as a prototype on the back of someone else's dream that i wanted to follow.
1: Yeah, I think I saw it on Reddit when you had the first prototype, uh, when you posted the first prototype, and it just—it just looks insane. So it's like <laughs> a horizontal, a horizontal split board. Yes. And the old version had only two rows on the top
2: it, it did yes there was a slight design flaw when we first looked at it and um, when, when, when we first started to look at the pcb um uh, the caps hadn't actually been delivered at that point only, only part of the kit had so i'd only got the alphas at that point um and we looked at some old renders from from 7-bit on how he designed the uh, the board so we kept his layout but we wanted to do our own take on the actual board itself um and rather than looking at the PCBs he designed or looking at the actual keycaps themselves, we decided to just go off one random render that we saw that had two rows at the top and then uh, and then all of the rest of the rows on the bottom on, on, on the flat port part of the keyboard. That turned out to be a bit of a mistake, and when <laughs> when the PCBs came and I'd got all the caps, we realised that as soon as I put it together. And the reason it's a bit of a mistake is because the the, the signature plastic keycaps, so they're actually sculpted, they're SA profile, um. So the the, the sculpt is designed to to curve down naturally from the uh, the top horizontal board onto the bottom horizontal board, and if you look at the uh, the images of the first prototype, you'll see that that's not the case. Um, there is a, a pesky row three right at the back of the uh, right in between the two boards um, that should sit on the top board and is due to our error sat on the bottom board. But that didn't deter us, I still built it, uh, put it together, put the keycaps on it and then um, in about 45 minutes I knocked up a rough wooden case. So if anyone looks too closely at the pictures on Reddit you will see that the case is really really rough. It's literally just sawn out of MDF on a bench saw and then painted blue. But that doesn't detract from the usability and the the, the complexities in the keyboard itself. The the, the case is almost uh, inconsequential to be honest. The, the The main part of it is having that particular layout with those keycaps. Uh, on a working PCB, that was always the aim.
0: Yeah, it's just one question, because when you look at the pictures with keycaps, you see the top rows are um, 2U wide. Yes. But uh, if you look at the PCB, it's all single switch. Yes. Uh, positions, So you actually have two switches under each 2U keycap.
2: Correct, yeah. They're, they're what's called POS caps, uh, point-of-sale keycaps, that signature plastics produce. So you can't actually use stabilizers with them because they've only got two um, uh, 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 two keycap prongs on the bottom. Um, so you, you literally have to put two switches in the standard spacing and the, the, the point-of-sale keycaps sit on top of them. Um, so it, instead of having a stabilizer, you have two uh, two key switches. It does make them twice as hard to press, but the fact that they're on a top row um, that you're pressing at an angle makes them a lot easier to press. So you, you kind of don't notice the weight difference on them, or, or certainly I don't. Um, but yeah, so you, you can't use those keycaps on anything else. Now, the the interesting thing as well is is when we were designing this, Yankar actually said, um, how are we going to work that with the two switches? Because cause our original instinct had been to put two switches in there, but just make the left one of each pair um, the one that was connected up to QMK and just have the other one as a stabilizer switch almost. But Yankao actually um, uh, encouraged us to not do that and have both of the switches uh, individually addressable so you could actually control them within QMK uh, and have each switch um, as a different function if you wanted to just in case we ever decided to not use the 2U uh, POS caps and use just single individual keycaps. So, so theoretically, on the board, I could take all of those two U keycaps off, uh, rehash the, the 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 flash file, the uh, the QMK code, um, and put individual keycaps and have uh, have twice as many keys on that top board.
1: Oh, that's actually awesome. That helps, um, especially if you think about how how many um, of those keycap sets were actually made. So, if there are only six or seven people, um, maximum, having those caps.
2: Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I, and I think to you pos key caps are rather uh, rare actually i I mean i think i you see some in uh, grab bags from sa or so sometimes but getting all or enough for the whole top row
1: could be rather hard you have to buy lots of grab bags
2: (laughs) (laughs) the the, the other option is to go on uh, my keyboard you can buy individual to you uh pos caps but from memory and this people might have to validate this but you you can only buy row one keycaps. you can't buy row two so so the actual sculpt of the top board uh in the prototype goes row one row two um whereas it should go row one row two row three and then it drops you onto the bottom board um but yeah you, you you'll struggle with the pos keycaps, and that, that was part of the reason why we made that decision because we knew that all uh all seven or eight of those that were in the original not all of us would get the key set. Um so we wanted to make sure that everyone could use it to the fullest capability. Um interestingly enough if you want to buy GMK a Space Cadet you can make it work if you buy something like twenty-seven of the international kit. You'll have the wrong legends, but you, you can make it work with individual keycaps. Um so yeah feel free to do that guys get the international kits um uh, numbers bolstered up there for us.
1: Yeah. <laughs> So you had your prototype, you realized uh, two rows, that's not how it's supposed to be. Yep. And at what point did you figure out you want to run a group by with this?
2: So I never intended to run a group bite. and to be honest, when I realised that we we'd, we'd done the rows slightly wrong, um, there was never any intention to even fix that. It, as far as I was concerned at that point, it was done. Uh, the board was soldered together. Um, I think the weekend after I'd put the board together, I I, I made the case um in my in my workshop really quickly. As I say, it took about forty five minutes, including painting it, and then I, I screwed it all together. Um, I used it for a little bit, and then I thought, Do you know, what? I'll take some pictures, popped it on Reddit, and the whole thing went a little bit viral, or as viral as a mechanical keyboard can go, I guess. Um, So I think it ended up with something like, I don't know, half a million views and 11,000 upvotes or something like that. Uh, But it it was the community off the back of that. Um, It it was quite divisive. People either loved it or hated it. Um, A lot of people disliked it. But those that did love it, wanted to buy it so i think off the back of that one post i think I had something like 55 people asked me if i was going to sell the the board or if they could buy it off me or if they could buy a version of it or if i would give them the pcb files or or whatever and that really made me think i thought well, if there's a demand out there for it maybe i should just run a group buy um uh you know let people have what they want take the opportunity to fix the uh fix the layout um and uh, and get those out there um so that's what we did uh, ran a group buy for it over the past couple of months and it's literally just about to ship out as we're recording this uh, this podcast the last of the boxes are sat beside me ready to go to the uh, ready to go to the postal um office tomorrow morning
1: almost like we planned it
2: <laughs> almost like we found it. yeah 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 something like that
1: so what other problems did you encounter i guess like nobody really makes boards this size so did there anything come up any problems you you encountered just by what it because of what it was
2: yeah, quite a few actually. When when we were doing the prototype, um, we we approached quite a few different PCB companies, Easy uh, EDA and a few others that yanka uses, um, and no one could accommodate the, uh, the 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 size of the PCB. Um, their PCB printers were all a lot smaller, uh, and they couldn't do it. Um, we managed to find one Chinese company that could do it, uh, but only if they uh, if they did the two boards attached to each other. So we have to manually disconnect them when we received them, and then resolder them together uh, using uh, using a cable. So that was the first challenge we had uh, but we managed to find a company that could do it for us the, the the second challenge we had was making a plate so designing a plate is dead easy um you can just go on swill kb and you know put in your data and you can create a plate for any board that you want uh, adding mount points is relatively easy as well um we put in different mount points on on round two to round one just because we knew where it needed more support but um um yeah, so was, we could do all that just fine. But then again, the size brought us problems. Um, I spoke to quite a few of the designers, uh, Zonda um, uh, and a few other people, uh, around where they got their plates cut and made and how they got them manufactured. And most of these places, uh, you tend to find that there's two types of laser cutters or, or water jet cutters, whatever type of company you're using. There's the type of companies that cater for um, uh, commercial, domestic, almost... um are uh, based on look and feel and uh, and decorative items, that's probably the best way of describing them. Decorative laser cutters, almost, or you know, for that that kind of stuff. And then you also have what you call industrial. Um, so these these guys are designed to 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 make the underside of cars and and printed and stamped panels that, that you know they put into the sides of buildings and all of these sorts of things pretty much every single um board designer out there and every single plate that we buy for boards these days is done by a decorative manufacturer Uh, so it's designed to be nicely finished it's designed to be nicely painted or or coated or whatever you want or anodized or, or however you want to color it um only none of those had a laser cutter big enough to support the plate so um we we couldn't go to any of them. I, I literally tried about fifteen different places, and this I, I had a plate made for the um um for for the prototype, but I, I made that myself in my garage, so it wasn't amazing. <laughs> it didn't really stand up to much abuse. So so we really struggled with that. Uh, it took about four weeks to actually find uh, one decorative place that could do it. Their price was outrageous. It was more than what the keycaps had cost for a single plate, um, uh, which was many hundreds of uh, of euros. Um, so. I said no, we can't do that. Um, and then someone suggested, why didn't I go somewhere that made um, panels for? Uh, ironically, what they make panels for is uh, if you've been into a school kitchen or a hospital kitchen, they have yeah, or, or or a fish and chip shop in the UK, you have these uh, these big fryers that are um, uh, made of uh, bent and folded steel or aluminium. Um and uh, they've got massive side panels on them and they have bits laser cut out for the trace to slot in and all sorts of stuff like that. So someone suggested one of these companies. Now, I didn't go with one of those companies, but it opened up my mind to these industrial um laser cutters effectively where they've got these massive machines that they can do uh, many metres of material at once with so they can do pretty much any size that you want Um, the the company we actually went with uh, makes skips for a living so so that's what they generally make they laser cut uh, the sides of skips uh, for for refuse and trash they said they could do it absolutely no problem Uh, they gave me a price which wasn't terrible at all Um, I had a prototype made for them um, and uh, it, it worked just fine but even that did come with its own challenges. Um, they they, uh, they can only cut steel. They they didn't support getting aluminium or copper or brass or any of these other materials that we're so used to using for plates today. Um, their only option was uh, steel or mild steel. Uh, so so it was one or the other. We we chose the mild steel mainly because it's uh, it's it's it doesn't tarnish on as quickly as as normal steel does. But what it does do is it leads to a nice pattern on the plate so um so over a little bit of time you get a little bit of aging to the to the material uh, and then you can clear coat it um and um and it looks really nice it looks it looks old it looks the part and it fits it fits the aesthetics of what the hyper 7 there to represent so so that's what we had to do in the end so so i made all this really clear up front at the start of the group buy and and luckily everyone was down and into that and they didn't necessarily want these clean um, pressed out plates and all of that kind of good stuff. So so yeah, so that those were the two biggest problems we had in just, just getting the project off the ground, to be honest with you.
0: Were you ever thinking about doing a case for it?
2: Yes, so uh, Zonda uh, had to go at making a case for us. He came up with some designs, um, uh, but then he's got so many of his own projects on, he just couldn't carry on with it. He, he had to drop looking at it. Olivia and Wilbur have chatted about making a case before. Um, they've they've looked at making a some sort of case. It was a bit of a wooden and steel hybrid, um, using the plate design and numerous other bits and pieces. Um, but that's not yet come to fruition. But the beauty of the group buy is that it's just plates and PCBs. So I, I genuinely, the biggest, the biggest thing for me on this is waiting to see what people come up with. Um, a few of the boards have already been delivered, and I've seen a couple of Reddit posts where people have just got their PCBs and plates, and they seem really excited to actually go out and create something. So, so, so what I'm waiting to see is who makes the nicest one, so I can copy them. To be honest with you, <laughs> um, that, that's literally what I'm waiting for now. I, I want to, I, 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 you know, it makes me really proud to see something like that out there, and I really want to see what people can come up with um uh, what designs people do and and how they make them up
1: Uh, that's great yeah and i'm i agree with you that uh, the steel plate um if it ages will fit the uh kind of vintage look of the board
2: yeah absolutely it it gets a nice little pattern it's not rust as such it's kind of like a surface discoloration and stuff like that. and then i've just clear coated them all a couple of people have asked for them painted which is fine I've, I've put either primer on so they can paint it in their own color or i've painted them black for them um, and that's fine um uh, the, other, the other challenge we had as well is when i first got the plates I, I painted them but um i quite quickly realized that the uh where the company had laser cut the uh the mounting points they hadn't done them to a large enough diameter um and unfortunately they couldn't adjust them. They would have to recut the whole thing, which they said that the holes were within their tolerances and there was a bit of an argument with them going backwards and forwards. So I ended up having to hand drill all of the mounting holes on, on both the, the, the lower and the upper plates. Um, uh, and we sold about 40 of oh. these. And I think I think over the over the two plates, I think the 63 mounting points or something like that. Yeah, so I had to hundreds and hundreds of holes manually and then deburred them before i started to uh to clear coat them and uh, and paint them which was slightly frustrating yeah but we got through it we got through it in the end and it's all boxed and packaged up now it's ready to go
1: yeah that's great
0: would you say that what the worst part about the group buy
2: i think it was the most tedious part i i I don't I wouldn't say it was the worst because I like doing stuff with my hands, I like creating stuff, like building things and being out in the workshop, hence the, the, the attraction of cars and keyboards. I like to do stuff. So I wouldn't say it was necessarily the worst part. I think the 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 worst part of the group buy is being responsible for so many people's uh investments. Um it's slightly terrifying when you when you realise that, that, that that's all on you and it's your responsibility to now deliver on what you've promised people. That that's the hardest thing to come to terms with, I think.
0: So, this was your first group buy, right?
2: Yeah, first group buy, yeah. Yeah, run completely uh, at a non profit level, literally at cost as well. We, we didn't want to make any profit off this. The, the aim is to just get what people want into people's hands.
0: So, um, did you plan the group buy out beforehand? Like, did you talk to other people who already had experience running group buys, or did you just wing it?
2: No, no. So, so so, working in project management, I've kind of got an idea of how to, to, to string these things together and come up with uh, an idea. And as we all know, no plan's perfect, no matter what you planned for. is. So soon as you do the first action things kind of start to go a little bit wrong and it always starts to to peel away from the plan but i had a good chat with a a few people that had uh, run group buys previously and i've met quite a lot of people through doing it as well so um you you know you know zonda has been quite close to a lot of it he's understood a lot of it as well um and gimli he's run group buys for switches and um george who run the silent black group buy that turned out to be silent reds had a lot of interaction with him as well as how he ran that and handled that kind of pressure um and then just speaking with people who run uh run stores so max who runs cable car designs and Pexen who runs uh, pex and pcs for the cables and stuff like that they're really good friends and just taking their advice on board on how to how to um even simple stuff like buy boxes and and buy packaging and you know making a, a, a almost like a home production line to, to to box them and package them up in the same order so you don't miss parts of an order out and making sure everyone gets what they have actually asked for
1: I think those are things that people don't realize that are there are a lot of work Not it's not just hard to get everything produced in the way you want but you also have to package it and label it and ship it out yourself and if it's something that is the size of the hyper 7 that can be quite a lot of work even without even without considering that you had to drill all those holes by yourself
2: Oh, yeah, even even if everything had come perfect and it would have been ready to box on on the day, uh, it wouldn't have added much time to the uh, to, to, to to where we are today. It wouldn't have been much sooner to, to ship out. Um, and the the reason is it takes an unbelievable amount of time to test everything, to plug it all in, make sure that both boards are working. Uh, and the other thing as well that we had to do was we solder the two boards together. We didn't want people to have to struggle to to put these kits together. So Yankar uh, and I, we we actually soldered all all of the PCBs. We we split them into two parts and we sold of the the the, the connect cables together. So there was a lot of manual labor went into it. Uh, but even just down to the boxing of stuff, I think in, in total, I think it took me something like 24 hours worth of work over, over three or four days to actually do all of the all of the boxing. Um, it took me four hours to just get the boxes from the box that they came in and fold them into a box shape so I could put stuff in them and tape them all up. I think it took me about four hours just to do that. So you, you don't realize in advance how long it takes to actually just do uh, the boxing, packaging, quality checking, uh, testing. Of, of everything that you've got to package up and send out. It's an astro- astronomical amount of time. It, it takes so much more effort than you realize. Um, and that's probably my biggest learning as well. Uh, dealing with the companies and dealing with the problems, that's all easy stuff. Just getting through the sheer volume of work sometimes that you've got to do to send this stuff out, it, it, it's not easy. And when you see these uh, these group buys that have got a 1,000 boards in it, like the Rama ones and things like that, um, you know, hats off to the people that have got the, the time, space, and effort to put people on it because it's it's a massive job to do on your own.
1: So how did you handle uh, communication in your group by um, when problems came up or just in general? Like, did you think about how you communicated or did you just like, write out whatever just happened and, and kept people in the loop that way?
2: Um, my original plan was to use just Geek Hack, post regular updates on there on the thread that was for Geek buy uh, for for the, for the group buy on on Geek Hack, um. But Geek had its own challenges and problems over the past months. Um, so uh, we ended up reverting to to what I found a much better way of communicating to people, which was a bit of an, um, an an open um uh, email uh, essay then and, and mail shot that I sent out effectively once a week, just saying, this is where we've got to, this is a progress from last week, and. And effectively doing a bit of a status update to say how we would progressed and and when people could expect things to happen um and if any delays had happened or if any risks had occurred or like when i had to re-drill everything um just keeping people aware uh, of what was going on really so it was uh um and there's quite a lot of back and forth in those email chains as well people quite interactive about it and um you know chatting with each other about their their ideas and support for the board which is really nice to see
1: that sounds awesome yeah that awesome. sounds pretty much um the way you want uh, group by communication to be, I guess
2: yeah I think th- I think a lot of group buys have have a problem whereby people want information they want to know what's happening with the group buy that they've put money into um and I, I think one of the things that that we should really really try and do as, as a community is make these group buys smoother, so even if there is no update after a month just just let people know that there's no update you know just, just say you know we carried on things are going all right don't need to worry just yet um I think it just would re- you know re- ease a lot of people's minds make them feel a little bit more comfortable that, that things are happening and, and moving in the in the right direction and certainly we shouldn't hide any problems or challenges people are really understanding that they, they know that group buys are a risk they know that group buys have their challenges and delays and and things like that and um, you know you know people are really really supportive of that kind of stuff so I think just being really open honest transparent about what's going on what your challenges are uh, if things aren't going quite as well as you expect and to you know just making sure that people are aware of that
1: yeah right now i feel like often times just there is an interest check and they run on a group by you get in and then there's just a void um, for like two months nothing happens you have no idea what's going on and at some point you, you realize some community members get samples or something and you see them oh and it's like oh that's still a thing and it looks like it's almost done and then slowly the updates are starting or you just get a shipping information at some point but in the meantime but in between you have no idea yeah
0: sometimes just the board shows up like, oh, <laughs>
1: right. I bought this. Or, or,
2: or, or if you buy it from, from Kin who runs TX Keyboards, you, you you pay your money and then your board turns up and then a week later you get your tracking information after you've already built it. And it on the <laughs> um, Kin's a lovely guy, but he's uh, he doesn't update his tracking. Um, but yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. Uh, one of the things I did try that didn't really work is I had a bit of um, uh, an open Google spreadsheet that anyone could look at. Um, and I just had a really, really high level timeline of when things should happen on there. Um that kind of fell apart when my wedding got brought forward by a year um, and I ended up having to delay everything for a couple of weeks um, so it's probably my fault that that didn't really work because uh, I just kind of forgot to update it after those couple of weeks taken out for my wedding but yeah I think that's another option you know having some sort of visible plan even if it's on your website you know just a bit of a timeline and a bit of a to say this is the timeline this is where we're at now this is what we've got left to do even if it doesn't have dates on it even if it just has a list of actions or or phases or steps or something like that you know so build and anode and uh, shipping and delivery you know even if it just has phases and it tells you which one it's in you know uh, a, a really good example of this actually is is uh, one of my favorite loves is pizza um and uh, dominoes have a really really good uh app that actually tells you what what's happening to your pizza at any given time i think just something really simple like that with no time scales on but just steps uh from a group by status you know taking people's money boards are ordered they're now being cnc milled they're now being anoded you know um they're, they're now with me for quality checking they're now out for shipping um, you know, shipping invoice throughout, whatever it is, you know, all of that kind of good stuff, really, really high level. It just keeps the community really engaged.
0: I think that's absolutely right. And especially important is for a group by runner to be uh, proactive about the communication because. In, in most of the groupies I currently participate in, it's always like community members who ask on the geek threads or on the Discord channels or whatever, or send out emails. And then you sometimes get a Reddit post like, I got this email from the guy that says like that, that, and that. And it's always like a, a bad aftertaste. I mean, you get the information, but it's so much better if you get it proactive from the guy who is responsible for the group by like, okay, here something happened, something has come up. This is the information. Or like you said, just no update this week. Everything is in plan. See you next week or something like that. Just an email. I mean, you have the e- uh, email addresses of everybody because of the PayPal invoices most of the time. So sending out email newsletters is like a few clicks these days. There are enough services for it.
2: Yeah and it doesn't need to be war and peace it doesn't need to be a big heavy set of text I mean a lot of my updates were cuz I like I like to ramble but you know for, for for most people you could just send out three or four lines so you know things are progressing well um, we're still on track or there's been a delay due to manufacturing uh, we're working around it we'll give you another update in a couple of weeks when we know it's back on track you know simple things like that um, another good example of how this is this is managed in some places is uh, like Kickstarter you have a really good way of interacting with people that have run Kickstarters they can come out and and give updates and posts and people can comment on them. And it's kind of like an open visibility. I quite like that as well. Um, If we had some sort of service that we could use for group buys like that and uh, the group buy runners uh, took that on board, I think that'd be really, really valuable
1: to the community. That sounds like a really good idea. Somebody should make that. Please, whoever is listening, please make it.
0: And with the EU proxies, please. No mass drop. (laughs) (laughs) Shipping GMK back and forth doesn't have to be that way. Um, everything we talked about, it sounds like your work experience, like your day job has influenced the way you run the group by heavily. So <laughs> do you feel like um, if somebody who doesn't do the, the management part you do in your day job um, gets into this, they probably would run into more problems because they don't, they're, they're not used to the structure way of going under it?
2: I, th- I think there's probably two different viewpoints that I've got on that, and they're, they're probably at odds with each other as well. So I'm I'm gonna I'm probably gonna be a bit of a hypocrite about myself here, but um I I don't think that I ran it badly i don't think i've necessarily run it well either um i suspect there's a lot of things that i could do to improve and one thing that i will do if i do decide to to do to do any more uh, group buys is go out and ask the people that have been involved in this one what i could have done better and and, and all that kind of stuff and get some feedback um and in, fact, in fact it's something i'll do as soon as the uh, the last board's posted and delivered but um um i i think that not necessarily giving and I think my skills from a work perspective haven't necessarily given me um, any better way of doing it up front um, I haven't particularly tried to run it as a project or as a product owner or anything like that um, but what I think it has done is, is when things have gone wrong it's allowed me to assess and send updates that have been relevant and meaningful and keep people in the loop um, and then actually address the problems um, and, and fix them I think that's probably where the my skills have had the best strength, rather than necessarily thinking about it up upfront. Um, I should have done a lot more planning. Um, you know, a product, project manager asking for a plan. You know, it's 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 ironic, really. But um, yeah, I, I didn't I didn't run it in 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 a work sense. I didn't put my work head on and try and run it from that capacity. Um, but perhaps I should have done. It might have gone a lot smoother and a lot better if I had have done it that way.
0: Especially the when problems arise part is is maybe the the. Harder thing for people. Like, um, they, they, it, it's very stressful if you suddenly something goes wrong, and like you said, you're responsible for a lot of people' money, um, and and suddenly you have a problem, and you maybe don't know how to handle it, and and then maybe something bit more experience or in um, that kind of setting probably helps a lot, like keeping you cool, finding solutions and stuff. So.
2: Yeah, I think I think the trick to any of that is not to panic. Um, I've seen I won't mention any names, but I, I know I've seen um, some retailers or uh, vendors or group buy runners get called out, and and they sometimes don't make the right choice in how they respond in the in in, in the first instance. They, they come out with a bit of a response that's probably seen quite negatively by the community, um, and then they realise that they've just been a bit harsh or whatever, and and they try and rectify that. I think the the, the trick is to not panic and whilst you need to give people timely updates, make sure you actually know what the problem is and how you're going to address it before you tell people. Um, That way you're giving them confidence that you're going to address it properly Um, and they're not sat there worrying that you don't know what to do um, and you don't know how to handle the situation.
0: That's pretty sound
1: advice, I guess. So the big question is, will there be another round of the Hyper 7?
2: Um, If there is demand for it, there will be. If I want, to do it again is probably a separate question um i've absolutely loved doing <laughs> it but I, I i would hope that it would go a lot smoother next time um we'd iron out the problems with the plates and that wouldn't happen again and i wouldn't get married again <laughs> which wouldn't delay it further and um, that's how we're done with now so i think it would be a lot smoother and easier if we do another round um but it needs the community to want it um i'm only going to do it if the community wants it there's no point in me doing it if, if they don't want to um but i need a month off a or, month or two off before we uh before we consider that
1: any idea what you would do differently if you um, if you run it again?
2: Yes, uh, the first thing I would do is I would because the, the manufacturer of the plates isn't that far away from me. It's only about three hundred miles. Um, I would actually go and drive there and and make them do it right instead of getting the uh, um, the uh, the mount points um, too small. Uh, I would I would probably go see them. Uh, it's something that I, I should have done on this one, and it's probably my biggest uh, failure in in the project. Isn't it's not going and having a chat with them and seeing up front how they could do it and leaving everything to email and phone calls. That's that's not the best way to handle these things. Getting out there and going and seeing uh, what the company is doing is is probably the best thing to do. You you can see that with uh, with uh, Norbauer, he recently went out to Signature Plastics and he did a great video of visiting Signature Plastics. Uh, and I know that Mito went and saw GMK and everyone's been really happy with our lasers come out with us as a result. So I think going and seeing your manufacturers and and actually attending and uh, working with them instead of just waiting for them to do a job, I think that's that's probably the biggest thing that I would do differently.
1: Okay. Um. Will you package it again? yourself
2: <laughs> I've actually uh I've actually discussed that if I do it with another round uh how I'd manage that and I'd probably team up with a vendor um I'm good friends with a couple of vendors from the uk community um and uh, they've got a bit bit better infrastructure when it comes to um uh to being able to to store package uh, and ship items than I do out of my little tiny home office. Um, so yeah, I will probably I will probably not do that side of it myself again, uh, and I'd probably team up with one of the vendors to get that side sorted.
1: Okay, great. Thank you very much for being our guest on the first episode. Yeah, thank you very much. You're more than welcome anytime. And where can people find you? Uh, so I'm on Reddit under username uh,
2: slash u slash nodgers n o j j e r s. Uh, I'm on Discord as uh, J Esoteric with a three, so that's J A E. Uh, three s o t e r i c and um, i'm on um, geek Hack as john flynn which is my real name so yeah uh, feel free to reach out and contact me if you want to
1: thanks everybody especially people from the europe discord who helped me and sebastian originally to come up with the idea gave us feedback on a test episode where we changed a bunch of stuff um, and just generally for making this project a reality for us I want to give a special thanks to uh, Ian Zawake, who is known as Chroma on the Mechanical Keyboard Discord, especially in the Europe channel, for providing our intro sound. And you can find more about her music from the links in the show notes if you want to check that out. And just thank you, everybody.
0: Yes, thank you. Um, Thank you, Jay, for being with us. And thank you all for listening. And next time I'm hopefully a bit more uh, talkative because I had to... uh, watch my voice today because um, maybe you noticed i'm a bit sick today but we wanted to bring out the first episode anyway so
1: okay uh thanks jay that was really nice it was much longer than the half an hour i expected so <laughs> <laughs> you, you have to you have to
0: cut
2: it down i told you i can talk I'll, I'll just keep talking if you give me the opportunity
1: thank you for listening to our first episode of the international kids if you want to get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter as at the underscore int underscore kit and on Twitch as the underscore international underscore kit for occasional real streams. We also have a YouTube account where we post each episode as well. And you can find the links to all of that in the show notes. Until next time.